Turn with me to John chapter 16. We're going to be reading verses 16 through 22. Before I read that, i got a few questions to ask you. How long does it take to read one chapter of the Bible? I know that they're different lengths, but if you were to like average it out and you just say, okay, it takes me, what would you say? How many minutes? It can't be measured in hours, right? Okay, five minutes. Yeah, I was going to say I was going to say four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, somewhere in there. And then if you get a longer one, of course, it can take longer. Or if you are sleepy, right? It could take a really long time. You could ever do that? I, I only did it with textbooks myself, rereading the same line seventeen times in a row. Like, I have no idea what this says. Still, I'm just going to keep going over it. But. It, Generally speaking, it doesn't take that long to read one, scripture, one passage of Scripture, one chapter, right? A few minutes, maybe ten minutes. How long does it take you to explain to somebody about how busy you are? How long does that conversation take? You could spend ten minutes on that easy, couldn't you? Talking about all how the busy th- how busy you are, all the things you have to do. That conversation could go back and forth for half an hour and turn into complaining, couldn't it? Now you may think that I'm about to get on you to read scripture, and that would be a good that would be a good guess, but that's not my point. How long does it take you to explain why your life is hard or or why you're tired? The life being hard thing, that could go on for hours, right? How long does it take to explain multiplication and division to a six-year-old or an eight-year-old? How many hours are we talking with that of teaching to get through multiplication and division? Well... It's taking Jesus a while to explain to his disciples that he is about to die and then rise again. And so it may sound repetitious to you, but of course, you were born after the fact. And you were, many of you, brought up having heard the story of the fact that Jesus was crucified and died and rose again, right? And so you have an advantage on the disciples in that regard. You've known it all along. You heard it told in the past tense. And it, it's really not that hard to understand, and yet the disciples need to keep hearing it over and over and over ahead of time. And one of the reasons that Jesus does this is because he loves them and he does not want them to be overcome with sorrow, right? And so he keeps explaining it to them. He keeps saying, I'm going to be lifted up, which is to say crucified. I'm going to die, but don't worry. I'm going to go away and you won't be able to come, but I will send my Holy Spirit to be among you. 
So he keeps teaching and teaching and teaching on this topic. And it's not surprising that as we get right up to the day of his death, the night that he's betrayed, between the, the, the Last Supper and his crucifixion, while he's with them, he's talking with them about it a lot. Right? He's trying to get them up to speed so that they're not fearful or sad or despairing about it. And so in some ways, it's a lot like teaching multiplication or division. You, you just got to say the same thing a lot of times, right? My sister showed me a video, I think it was, I think it was my sister, of trying to teach somebody simple addition. And it was two adults acting it out as though one of them were the teacher and one of them were the child. And it's absolutely hysterical because the guy's going like, you have five and you add four to that. And the kid's just like totally clueless, zombie staring like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, right? You just got to repeat yourself a lot with kids, don't you? Do kids know this, that you have to hear the same thing over and over again? Have I told you not to hit your brother? Uh Uh-huh. Did you hit your brother? Uh Uh-huh. When are you going to stop? When are you going to remember? When are you going to listen? And that's kind of the way that we could feel about the disciples right now. How many times do we have to sit here and listen while they're told about the simple reality of Christ being Jesus Christ being about to die and then rise from the dead? But Jesus is very tender with his disciples, isn't he? Very patient with them. Patient a lot like a mother. Repeating herself, repeating herself, repeating herself with her kids. probably more patient than most mothers. How many of you mothers out there have perfect patience? Jesus had perfect patience. Which is to say, not that he never rebuked anybody, right? I was, I was reading uh, in John chapter 3 to somebody who doesn't know his Bible and I explained I, uh, I got to the point where Nicodemus and Jesus are speaking and he, uh, Jesus says, you, you must be born again. And this is the center of the gospel and that's why I was reading it to this man. And, and Jesus, or Nicodemus responds to Jesus and says, how can these things be? And I'm just reading along, right? And and the next thing that Jesus says is, are you a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things? Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, that just goes right over you, you like water off the duck of the back. But this guy was not familiar with his Bible and he just busted out laughing. He thought that was the funniest thing. Are you, oh, he, he's he's oh, that's harsh. You know, oh, he's really letting him know, isn't he? 
you're a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? And when we look at the disciples and we're like, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ and you don't understand these things? But Jesus responded to Nicodemus that way, but with his disciples, most of the time what he says is, well, let's try this again. Okay, I'm going to die. I'm going to come back. I'll rise again from the dead. Then I'm going to go to my Father and send the Holy Spirit. And sometimes they're like, oh, now we get it. Now you're speaking plainly. Now, now you're speaking clearly. And then he has to come back to it, right? It's like when that, you, you know, it clicks with addition. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Three, three, six. Yes, they've got it. And the next day it's like, three and three, 79? I don't know. Forgot how addition works. They forget the basic things, and we forget the basic things so much of the time, don't we? And is there anything more basic than motherhood? Here we are on Mother's Day, right? There's, is there anything more basic? It's, it's so fundamental to life. It's so basic. And so what does Jesus do? He uses the analogy of having children to explain that he's about to die and rise again. He uses this, in his patience, this analogy of a woman giving birth to a child to try to get through to them. Jesus is not a prissy Presbyterian. He's He's perfectly happy talking about labor pains. You see, in America today, we're like, that, that, we just don't talk about that. That's making me uncomfortable. Jesus is, Jesus is down to earth, isn't he? He's, he's ready to talk about things like dying. He's ready to talk about things like labor pains and having children. In fact, he'll even use labor pain as an analogy to explain things to us because he knows we should get it. Now, here's the problem today. We've separated ourselves so far from the basic things of reality that we don't even really understand motherhood anymore. And labor pains are kind of, you know, not polite company talk. Well, let's hear what Jesus has to say as he tries to explain a fairly simple thing using another fairly simple thing. We'll have to study them both to really understand it, though. Please stand as we read God's Word from John chapter 16. Just a few verses here, 16 through 22. Again, Jesus is speaking. He says, A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, so they were saying, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this? 
that I said, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. First, did you notice that inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired, God-breathed generalization that, that God made? The generalization there? Where was the generalization? Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. The joy of a new baby is an amazing joy, isn't it? It's an overpowering joy. It's a sweet and wonderful thing. So sweet and wonderful that it totally overwhelms the fact of the pain and misery that came before that time, right? I got a yes from one man and a couple of <laughs> nods, you know. <laughs> a couple of nods and, the, and a couple of women who are like, I'm not, so, I'm not so sure it's coming up soon or... I just went through it. It hasn't quite faded. Right? But Jesus generalizes. He doesn't have any problem generalizing. And he says that having a baby, having a new baby, is a wonderful, wonderful, joyous thing. Now, have there ever been women who don't take joy in their babies? Of course. In fact, one place where Jesus or where Scripture uses this same kind of analogy, God says, "Will a mother forget her nursing child?" And of course, the answer is no, never. And and God says, "Even though that may happen, I will never. I will never." And so, here he says, children are a joy. Are there children that aren't a joy? Well, of course there have been. Does that make his statement any less true? Do I have to go and qualify every generalization that I make? Does Jesus have to go and qualify every generalization that he makes? Or can we just speak and, and know it's true? It's, it's wonderful when there's a new child born, isn't it? Now, 
And how do we know? Well, we know because it's based on the reality that, that's so basic, that's so core in us, that children are a gift from the Lord. And even if, even if you don't know God, even if you didn't grow up in a culture that knew that children are a gift from the Lord, you still treasure that inheritance of children, don't you? Every culture does. The cultures that don't, what happens to them? They're gone. They're just gone. That's how core it is. If you don't get this, you won't survive. That's how basic it is. Now, do you have people today who say that children are a curse on the earth? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes all children, sometimes just particular children, and sometimes just categories of children, right? And yet, you have a child walk up to that person. And more often than not, they can't, they can't withstand the purity of the truth that that is good. It, it overwhelms all of their logic and all of their... All of their it's terrible for people to have kids because it's going to destroy the world. And all, and all of their prejudice about how children are a pain and all of the, every, every reason that you, can, that you can come up with, that people have come up with today to hate children, you have a little two-year-old walk up to them and put their hands up. And what happens? Their heart melts. Right? And why does their heart melt? Because we know that it's good to have kids. We know that they're a blessing. We know that it's a joyful thing. That's how basic this is. It's fundamental. It goes all the way back to the very beginning when God made mankind and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so it's written into our DNA to propagate, isn't it? Now, is that too dirty for me to say? Even people who totally reject God attribute all sorts of things to that, to that fundamental written into us. This is good. It's good to have kids, and they, they say that it's evolutionary. You know, well, evolutionary theory says that the most important thing is that you need to be able to reproduce. Well, who said? Who said? God said. Evolution didn't say. Evolution can't say. Evolution has no will. Evolution has no thought. God said, be fruitful and multiply. What a beautiful thing. And so everybody knows it. Now, are there people who still deny it? Are there people who are that cold and heartless that their heart doesn't melt when a two-year-old comes up to them and raises their hands? Of course. 
But we know it, don't we? They know they're being cold and heartless. They're protecting the wickedness in their heart because they don't want to admit that children are good. This reality, it's that fundamental, that children are a gift from the Lord. And it's, it's so fundamental that Jesus can use it as an explanation for something else without explanation. He doesn't go into explaining a lot about how good children are and how we have to propagate and this, isn't, this that, and the other. No, he just, he just assumes it. He, he knows that we know it doesn't he? Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. And did you notice how it's not like she now has a baby that is her own? It says there, it says a child has been born into the world. Now, is, is it a lot of it because it's her child? Yeah. <laughs> but he's more general than that, isn't he? He just, it's, it's that good. Just that a child has been born into the world. What a, what a wonderful thing. What a beautiful thing. The weight of the sorrow of the disciples as they come to the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus compares that to the the weight of the pain and misery of the labor pains. And you have this you have this statement by Jesus that the, uh, that the world is going to rejoice while they're mourning. While they're, so, while, they're, while they're filled with sorrow, the world is seemingly having a great time. Well, when is that? Well, that's when Jesus dies. Remember, this whole thing, Jesus is using as an analogy to explain what's going on with him. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. And so, who's having fun while a woman is giving birth to a child? Not the woman, right? Who has it good? Who who rejoices? You've had these conversations with people. Oh, I'm I'm glad I never had kids. Too much pain, too much of a pain. Oh, I could never do it. And, and, and these women are giving themselves to other things that seem very pleasant at the time, right? The worldly woman 
can have it easy by avoiding children. She can. She can have it easy. She can go out and party every weekend and have no concern about who's going to take care of the children. Have a lot of happy, easy, go-lucky time. Right? And yet, who's going to have joy in the end? Who's going to have joy in the end? The woman who goes through the pain and sorrow of bearing, a children, of bearing children is the one who has joy in the end, isn't she? When it comes to 45, 50, 55 years old, 65, 75, my grandma's 100 now. She's got 10 kids, 28 grandkids, countless great-grandkids. I have no idea how many great-grandkids she has. And what joy. What joy she has. She keeps track of all of their birth dates, sends cards and and then she turns a hundred and what do we do we send her all of the needlework that she's done that's spread throughout the family all of her art from her life and, and then everybody goes up all of her kids gather and they have a birthday party for her And her children rise up and they call her blessed. Who has joy in the end? We know who has joy in the end, right? What is a life of chasing after drugs and alcohol and men and the pleasures of this world lead to? When the world, in the words of cake, Tattoo removal, dozens of pills. Your liver pays dearly for youthful magic moments. Does that sound like fun? The world knows who is cake. Cake is not some religious Christian doctrine, you know, like... Are you with me? It's this basic, isn't it? There's no avoiding. It's it's obvious. We know who has joy in the end. And so Jesus uses this analogy. He's like, you know, yeah. There's there's pain. And after the pain, there's joy. And that's the way it's going to be with me. There's pain. I'm going to die. But after that, comes joy because I'm coming back. And you guys all know, you, you've all, you're all sitting there smiling and you're nodding at me going like, yeah, I understand that grandma thing. I'm, I'm tracking with that. I don't know if I got you on everything else, but you're all tracking with the grandma, right? My grandma. I love her. You can, you can, you can grab a hold of that. It's, it's that basic. But that joy that she has And the joy that I have of looking at her and her faithful care and love and training of her children 
disciplining them. Her joy doesn't, doesn't even come close to the joy of those who follow Jesus Christ and know that he came back from the dead. And if I can use my grandma again to illustrate it, you know what she did whenever she had a boy? Remember she had ten kids? She cried. She cried whenever she had a boy. Does that sound like joy? Not not a lot, right? (laughs) Not a lot of joy. She had more girls, so... The, 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 the joy of childbirth is tempered, isn't it? It's tempered not just because it comes after the pain, but it's also tempered because children are born into a world of sin. Children are born into a world where there's misery, where there's pain, where you don't know what's going to happen to them. And so... As a mother, it's, it's hard even after the fact, even as they're giving you joy. Can you imagine my grandmother wondering if she's going to have to say goodbye to her children or grandchildren? She keeps living and living and living, right? That's a gift. But this world, she's saying goodbye and goodbye and goodbye and goodbye. Because this is a world that is still under the curse of sin, where there's still death. And we see this even in the even in the discussion of even in the discussion of birth and, and the pains of birth, you can't help but think of miscarriage, can you? The pain that is unproductive that leads to death instead of to joy. Or the child that's born that then turns away from the Lord and is a cause of such mourning. Or the child that you have to say goodbye to. Whether that's through death or whether that's through them moving to Africa. Right? This world is filled with pain, and so this analogy of birth is is imperfect, isn't it? Because the joy, as, as fundamental and basic as it is, the fact that after birth there is joy, that a child has been brought into the world. That's so basic, so fundamental, and yet... It's still tainted by the sin and misery and despair of this world. And here's the thing. The fact that Jesus is going to die and then come back to life, as he's telling his disciples here, right? That is what undoes the misery of this world, ultimately. That is him Claiming victory over not just sin, but even death. 
Not just claiming it, is it? Demonstrating. Demonstrating his power and his victory over death. The joy of having our Savior is a higher joy than the joy of having children. And this is so important for us to say on Mother's Day because mothers, all of you are tempted to put your hope in your children, to make your joy your children. And your children will not always be a joy to you. Probably later today, they will not be a joy to you. But children, are you to be a joy to your parents? Yes. You obey them. And you get along with each other. Nothing will make them happier. Nothing will will please your mother more on Mother's Day than if you just get along with each other today. That will be a great Mother's Day gift. Your children will cause you pain. You think of the lyrics of Glorious Sings, that first song that we sang, right? Go ahead, can you pull up the lyrics, James, for uh, Glorious Things? Got to run back in there. There we go. One more. Go to the uh, go to the next verse. I can't remember what verse it is. Oh, keep going. Yeah, look at the gifts that God gives to His people. Round each habitation, hovering. See the cloud and fire appear for a glory and a covering, showing that the Lord is near. Which is better, to have children or to have the Lord near? You want the Lord near. You want the Lord near. Thus deriving from their banner, light by night and shade by day, safe they feed upon the manna which he gives them when they pray. Go to the next verse. Fading, second, second half of the verse. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. Who are Zion's children? What is this song talking about? It's talking about those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ those who have been saved from their sins. Those who are under the banner of love of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's Jesus himself who tells us that we have to put him first, ahead of our children, isn't it? What does he say? Well, there's all kinds of hard things that Jesus says. Take up your cross daily and follow me, right? 
But what does he say about family relationships? Does anybody know? Yeah, forsake your father and your mother and follow me. He says, if you, if you won't, if you won't put me first, if you put the family first, you won't have me. You won't have me. Jesus is also the one who promises to punish those who cause one of these little ones to stumble. It's not because Jesus doesn't love children. What does he say to the disciples? The disciples say, no, no, he's too busy. Don't bring the children to be blessed. And he rebukes them and he says, let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. Jesus understands better than you do, mothers, better than your husband does, the joy of a child being born into the world. He understands it better because he's the one who made it work that way. And when we have children, what do we do? We celebrate. It used to be they'd ring the bells, right? Everybody gives gifts. The whole world celebrates when there's children. And what does, what does Jesus say about there being new children of faith? He says even the angels celebrate. In fact... There's more rejoicing over one lost one coming to faith than over the 99 that are already here. Right? And isn't that the way it is with kids? You think that sounds crazy. More rejoicing over the one than over the 99? Well, here are all these kids. There's not quite 99 of them in here, but we're not rejoicing, are we? But boy, a new one's born, and what do we do? We celebrate. He's the one who created the world to flourish. He's the one who commanded us to multiply. He understands what your children mean to you. He's he's tender to children. He cares for them. But he's a jealous God. And we may not put anything before him, including our children. And when we do that, when we, when we put him first, what happens? We have joy. Lasting joy. Solid treasure. It's joy in his resurrection because he came back. 
And what is that joy? That's a joy uh, that looks forward to the future. By faith, we look forward and we say, one day, one day I'll be reunited with those children that I lost to death. David says, I, he won't come back to me, but I'll go see him. Isn't that sweet? There's nothing like it in this world that this world can offer. You can, you can hold on to your children as tight as you want. They will fall apart. You will tear them limb from limb. They'll be like sand in your fingers. Hold to Jesus. Hold to Jesus. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And you will, you will face death. And you will come through death victorious because your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has gone before you, ahead of you, into the grave and out. And the last enemy that will be defeated is death. And in the meantime, the enemies that will be defeated, they'll be your sin. You'll fight sin and you'll win. You'll win by sanctification. This world can't offer that. But Jesus Christ does. And what joy. Let's be his children today. Let's pray.